Well, if you have a Bible this morning, let's open up to Proverbs 25, 26 through 28. We're going to look at verses 26 to 28. Proverbs, if you go to kind of the middle of your Bible, you'll probably hit the Psalms, and you just want to keep going to the right, and there you'll hit Proverbs. A collection of sayings, a lot of, uh, a lot of wisdom here in Proverbs, um, and we're going to look this morning at this fruit of the Spirit, self-control. And so we'd love for you to open up there to Proverbs chapter 25. If you have no idea where it is, use the table of contents. If you're unfamiliar with how to look things up in the Bible, if you're going to be in Proverbs 25, look for the big number 25, and then uh, look for the little number 26. That's the verse that we're going to start in this morning as we look at this fruit of self-control, a very distinct and unique word in the Bible, not used actually a ton of times, this, but this is one of the instances where it's used, and we'll get to it in just a moment. And as you're opening up there, there once was a little boy who stood in front of his grandma's TV. It's one of these old TVs that look more like a piece of furniture. You know what I'm talking about with the wood all around it, had a bunch of knobs, had the antenna on it, spent a lot of time to kind of dial that thing in. You know, you had to turn it a certain way and some people would put foil on the on the uh, antenna to help it really dial it in and you know once you got it dialed in you didn't want to touch it and you once you got those channels dialed in you had the big knobs on the front you, you, has anybody ever seen one of those old TVs you know you can probably go, you may have you may have had to move one of them you know it's, it's almost akin to like moving a big chest of drawers I mean this is monstrous things and, and uh, this little boy saw this TV and he stood before it and he just had that urge to just touch all of the things, just touch all of the buttons. And he had that urge there, and, but he knew that if he did it, he would upset his father because his father had looked at him and said, don't you touch that TV. You touch that TV, you're going to be in big trouble because he knew, the dad knew it would take a long time to get that thing dialed back in. And that little boy standing there in front of that television, that big old monstrous thing, Standing there with itchy fingers, he had a choice to make, didn't he? He could either obey his father or he could obey his impulses. And he's sitting there with this choice to make and he's asking, what am I going to do? I'll tell you what he did at the end. But this morning we're looking at this final fruit of the Spirit in the list in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine fruit we've been looking at. And we're in our last, last one this morning. Remember, we're going to finish up the sermon series next week and ask, okay, so what do we do with these fruit? What does that look like? But this morning, we're looking at this final fruit of the Spirit, self-control. The Greek word is egrates. It's a really unique word in the Bible. It's only used a few times in the New Testament, and it's actually only used one time in the Old Testament, and that's where we are this morning. And so the Hebrew word is masar. So the Greek, the New Testament was written primarily in Greek. The Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew. And that Hebrew word masar means restraint or control, and we're going to kind of Look at this word a little bit this morning. And as we consider this fruit of self-control this morning, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever thought about the constant battle that's being fought in and for your heart at every given moment? If not, if you haven't really thought about it in that deep of a way, I bet you have felt it at some point. Kind of this, this kind of push-pull in your heart, this tug in your heart. Now, we, we typically regulate self, relegate self-control to things like not eating another donut. For me, I do not have self-control, especially if there's a hot dozen glazed Krispy Kreme donuts fresh. With, you know when the sign's out? I mean, you know what's up. 
in those moments. Self-control is hard. But we typically just relegate this word to just that. But it's so much more. Self-control, we, uh, here's what Jerry Bridges wrote in his helpful little book called The Fruitful Life that I would highly recommend to you. Jerry Bridges said this, Self-control is the believer's wall of defense against the sinful desires that wage war against his soul. Self-control is like a wall against those attacks. And self-control is necessary because we are always at war with our own heart desires inside and the outside temptations from the world around us. And there's been kind of three main enemies that theologians have talked about that we, we war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we have these, this inner struggle in our own heart, but also these temptations that are coming from the outside. And what do we do with those? James chapter 4, verse 1, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You know, the struggle that exists in your heart. James 1, 13 and 14, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You feel that heart struggle that's going on there. And throughout the day, whether you believe it or not, throughout the day, this side of heaven, we have this inner struggle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. They're always there. And this shows up in a lot of different ways. For example, a couple examples of this. Being mean to someone or gossiping to make yourself look better. You know that you probably shouldn't do it, but it's easier to do it. Stealing something that's not yours just because you want it. You know it's wrong, but yet I want it. You feel that tension in your heart. Lying to not get in trouble or save face. Even though you know you're guilty, someone catches you and you say, Oh, it wasn't me. It was them. That that struggle that exists in our heart and self-control is something that the Holy Spirit has to give us because if we're honest, we quickly realize that we do not have it in and of ourselves. And remember, we talked about these fruit of the Spirit. They are gifts given to us and worked into us from the moment of conversion. They're like little seeds planted in our heart that grow over time. And this has to be a gift that the Holy Spirit gives us. We don't have self-control in ourselves. You think we quickly give in, we're prone to overindulgence and excess, the flesh often wins. We don't like to do what Jesus asks us to do in Luke chapter 9, 23, which is to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. We don't like doing that. Doesn't sound fun at all. Because what that means is we don't always get what we want when we want it, which is the heart of sin. I want what I want when I want it. And self-control is actually a gift from God to empower us to control our sinful desires. This wall around this struggle that's happening. Why? Because that war is raging every single day and sin is deadly and destructive. So how do we fight back with the Spirit's help? Let's find out how important this fruit of the Spirit really is as we discuss this morning. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 25, verses 26 to 28. Just a few verses, and actually the only time in the Old Testament this word is used. But let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Just a few verses there, but really helpful. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. May we receive it by faith with the full authority of it coming from the Lord himself. 
Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look to His Word. Please pray with me. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that every bit of it's true. And this morning as we come and we consider this fruit of self-control, we pray that You would please be with us and watch over us. Lord, remind us of Your grace. Remind us of Your mercy. And Lord, help us to see more of ourselves, more of You. Change us in some small way by Your Spirit. And we pray these things humbly in Christ's precious name. Amen. You may have seen this series of videos that have gone around on the internet for a little while where uh, a, a mom will leave her kind of phone camera propped up, you know, like she'll prop it up against the fruit bowl with the video running. And what she'll do is she'll set her little kids maybe at the table or maybe at the kitchen counter and put like a little uh, pile of candy there in front of them, like a couple of M&Ms or gummy, bur- gummy bears or some cookies or something, some kind of sweet thing. And then what she'll do is she'll issue a challenge to her little kids. She'll leave that little small pile of candy in front of them. And then she'll tell the kids, okay, mommy's going to be right back. Don't touch that pile of candy until I get back. Okay? And then what mommy does is leaves the room. And the amazing thing about that is the kids always go, yeah, okay, mom. Sure, I'll do that. But as soon as mom leaves the room, It's funny because you can literally watch the kids. You can see them and hear them wrestle with this tension in their heart. You can just see it. Some of them are like, Mommy said not to touch it, but I really want to. Mommy, nope, nope. Mommy said, you know, there's this little boy and he's he's like verbalizing this war and his hand gets, no, Mommy said no. And you see, sometimes there's this struggle. Other times, as soon as Mama leaves, that kid just starts shoving M&Ms in his mouth as fast as he could. And they're, they're really, really funny, and, and you can just sit there and, and watch them wrestle with it. And so when we think about that kind of video, those videos, we think about this proverb that we're looking at this morning, it really illustrates this heart struggle that we all feel. Wave after wave of temptation assaulting this spring that welled up in our hearts at conversion. And Satan at every moment is trying to knock down that wall and muddy the water. This, this tax that just keep coming. And we're reminded we need to stand firm and have self-control with the Holy Spirit's help. Again, Bridges said, Self-control is the exercise of inner strength under the direction of sound judgment that enables us to do, think, and say the things that are pleasing to God. It's a progressive work of the Holy Spirit throughout our lives. It's a process of sanctification as we're made more and more like the image of Christ with the Spirit's help over the course of our lives. As you both know, you and I know, self-control is not a thing we can just flip the switch on and suddenly we're fully under self-control. It's a work of the Spirit. We need help. It's not an overnight fix. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, Paul wrote, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Again, Bridges was really helpful. He said, But man in his sin has corrupted all the natural blessings which God has given. Because our desires have been corrupted, those things which God intended for uh, our use and enjoyment have a tendency to become our masters. At the heart of idolatry, we said that anything you love more than God is an idol. And those things can master you and take control of you. I read a book one time that was put out a couple of years ago. The title of the book was, I think, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. And one of the things that they mentioned is they said, this little thing that we all carry in our pocket, they had a very useful phrase that said, this is like your little pharaoh that you carry around in your pocket, that if, if not careful with, can become and master you, that anytime this little thing comes calling, you go run to it. 
It's become our little pharaoh in our pockets. And you think about these, you know, we're, we're called to be under Christ and not be mastered by anything else. And sometimes self-control often means self-sacrifice. Sometimes it means a no to certain things for the glory of Christ and the good of our souls in the long run. And this morning I want to discuss three main focuses of self-control in our daily lives for the honor of Christ. Hopefully this will be very practical. And these are going to be our three main points this morning. We're going to see self-control with our body, self-control with our thoughts, and self-control with our emotions. Those are going to be the three things we're going to look at this morning. Then what we're going to do is we're going to see how the gospel actually empowers us to fight back and how it equips us in this way. And so I want to, to make sure that we want to be careful not to just think about this as behavior modification. I don't want this to just be a go-and-do behavior modification type of thing. I want us to look to Christ. David Mathis said, True self-control is not about bringing ourselves under our own control, but under the power of Christ. And that's super helpful. Let's look at that first point, self-control with our bodies. We see, we, we see our bodies as a good gift to be taken care of. We're not Gnostics. There's this old uh, thing that's been floating around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years called Gnosticism. And one of my seminary professors, Dr. Kara, would basically boil it down to this. Body bad, spirit good. So any of these physical things that are bad in and of themselves, it's only the things that are you know, spiritual or ephemeral. Those are the things that are, that are there. We are not Gnostics. We understand and believe that our bodies are good gifts given to us. And here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, a familiar passage. He asks, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And we watch what we eat. Verse 27 tells us in our Proverbs, it's not good to eat too much honey. You could probably, you know insert something else in there. It's probably not a good thing to eat two dozen Krispy Kreme donuts in a row. We would always tell our campers it's probably not a good thing to try to break the pancake record of 40, as it stands right now, 40 silver dollar pancakes at Ridgehaven. You would be amazed at how many pancakes those kids can put down and you just watch in sheer awe. You're like, that is, I don't know how you do that. Probably not your best choice, probably not your best decision. You're going to be hating life in about an hour. Um, you know, but we, we look at this and we don't worship our bodies, though. Uh, we, we don't make them an idol. We flee from vanity. We do see them as a good gift, but we don't see them as something to be worshipped in and of themselves. We want to use our bodies to do good, to build others up, not to hurt other people. We want to use our bodies to protect others, not take advantage of them from selfish gain. Romans chapter 6, 12 and 13 says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. One of the things that we have to do with the Spirit's help for the self-control is we realize that sometimes we have to use our bodies to avoid or flee places where we might be tempted, especially sexually including those digital places that only require just a flick of our finger to access. With the Spirit's help, we actually use our bodies and ask the Lord to help us to flee those places. I used to tell my college students on campus when I was a campus minister, if you wouldn't be able to honestly tell your grandmama about what you did at the dinner table, you probably shouldn't do it. Good rule of thumb there, if you can't tell your grandmama about it. 
And so we're called to use our bodies to go and to serve others and to help meet their physical needs. We also use our bodies, we use our bodies to serve, but we also use our bodies to pursue the Lord. Spending time in the Word, you actually have to pick the thing up and open it up. You know, gathering on the Lord's Day in church, just like this. You know, spending time in prayer, bowing our heads or going to our knees in prayer, gathering with those who need encouragement, pursuing the Lord. And we use our bodies in this way as the, we see them as a temple, that's a, the, a gift that's given to us by God. And we want to glorify God in all that we do. But we also not only have self-control with our body and use our bodies for the glory of God, there's another avenue. This is our second point. Self-control with our thoughts. And so we see also our minds as a good gift from God. And so it's not just the physical stuff's bad and the, the kind of stuff that you can't see is good. Both are good. We see our minds as a good gift from God, and they're to be guarded and nourished. Again, here's what Bridges said that I found really helpful, thinking about our thought life. He said, it's in our thought life that our emotions and actions begin, and that sinful desires plant their roots and entice us to sin. Our minds are mental greenhouses where unlawful thoughts, once planted, are nurtured and watered before being transplanted into the real world. He used this idea of our minds are like mental greenhouses where these desires are planted and we nurture them and then eventually they move out into the real world. And so we need to remember that battle for our hearts that's mentioned right here in Proverbs 25, these waves that are coming and trying to muddy the water and the spring that's there and be careful not to dwell or dwell on harmful or sinful thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Romans 12 Two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This call to dwell upon the things of the Lord. Dwell upon things that are right and true and pure. The amazing thing about our thought life is it's really, really easy to hide our thoughts from other people, isn't it? It's really, really easy. But we have to be reminded that we can't hide those thoughts from the Lord. We think we do, but we don't. And so it's easy to hide, but not from God. Psalm 139, you discern my thoughts from afar, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You see, you may not realize it, but every day you are being assaulted from every side by what you see and what you hear. Everything's competing for a slice of your affections, and it's so easy to give in. It's so easy to give way, to muddy the water. And the Holy Spirit gives us the strength, and the Word of God gives us that filter to help us navigate these competing thoughts and to focus on what is glorifying to God. You know, with the Spirit's help and with this Word that the Lord has given us to help us to process our lives, we, we, discern, we discern what is true and right and noble and good and pure, and we dwell upon these things. Again, Bridges said, A Christian may not be particularly bothered with impure thoughts, but may be tempted to entertain those that are not true or noble. Listening to such things as gossip, slander, or criticism about others needs to be rejected just as strongly as the tendency to pass them over our tongues. Solomon said to guard. Paul said to flee. Both verbs convey a much stronger reaction to temptation than most Christians practice. Ouch. I read that and was like, ugh. 
So self-control with the Lord's help with our bodies. Self-control with the Lord's help in our thought life and what we dwell upon and think upon and what we engage with. But then finally, our third point, and I promise, I know this feels like a lot of do's and don'ts. We're getting to the gospel, I promise. But point three, self-control with our emotions. Again, we see our bodies as a good gift from the Lord. We see our minds as a good gift from the Lord. And we also see our emotions as a good gift from God. But isn't it so easy to be mastered by our emotions and led around? Again, Bridges said, book super helpful, fruitful life. Although not as harmful to others, other uncontrolled emotions such as resentment, bitterness, and self-pity may be more destructive to ourselves and to our relationship with God. Uncontrolled temper is soon dissipated on others. Resentment, bitterness, and self-pity build up inside our hearts and eat away at our spiritual lives like a slowly spreading cancer. All of these sinful inner emotions have in common a focus on self. They put our disappointments, our wounded pride, or our shattered dreams on the thrones of our hearts where they become idols to us, end quote. A helpful reminder, Psalm 141.3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Titus chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, Speaking of elders, but applicable to everyone, says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, it's not wrong to have emotions, and I hope you realize that. Sometimes in the Christian world, we think that really Christians are only allowed to be like happy and content, and there's no really anything outside of that. And for anyone that thinks that way, have you, have you ever read the Psalms? The Psalms are amazing in this way. They are just dripping with human emotion, sadness and fear and anger and worry, but delight and joy. They just cover the wide range of human emotions, and people love the Psalms because a lot of times the Psalms give us the words that we need to process these emotions that we feel, and I'm grateful for the Psalms in that way. And so we, we think about what's going on here, and we... The, the big call is we just shouldn't be mastered by our emotions. We bring them all under the lordship of Christ and for his glory. And so Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit is than he who takes a city. Again, Bridges said, Keeping a tight rein on our emotions is just as necessary to godliness as keeping the appetites and desires of our body under control. He's saying that the body and the, the mind and the emotions, we all bring them under the lordship of Christ for his glory. We realize that we are people who have been bought with a price, and we want to honor the Lord in all aspects of our life. And if we think, okay, so if I just stopped here, if I just stopped there, it would feel like just another pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of moral lesson, wouldn't it? We talked about, you know, we honor the Lord here, we do this, we do that. And sometimes the Bible is full of do's and don'ts, and we obey them in that way. As the Lord tells us how life works best, we're created in His image. But there's a problem, isn't there? As I have been going through these different things, what have you been thinking? There is no way I could do that perfectly. I mean, you, know, you think about ways, I, maybe I have dishonored the Lord with my body, or I've dishonored the Lord with my mind and my thought life. I've dishonored the Lord with my thoughts. And you think, how in the world do we do any of this? You immediately are confronted with all the ways that you fall short. And we're reminded we can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We need the Lord's help in this way. And this is where the gospel comes rushing in to remind us of the grace of God. 
There is good news. Here's 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, compels us, masters us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The good news of the gospel is this. There's freedom in knowing that we don't have to muster the strength for self-control on our own. The Holy Spirit helps us. And what do we look to? We look to Christ himself. We look and find our strength in another person. We find our strength in the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this in Titus chapter 2, 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I've actually been ticking off the New Testament passages where this word is used. We look to Christ. We live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives because the grace of God has appeared. David Mathis said, Christian self-control is not finally about bringing our bodily passions under our own control, but under the control of Christ by the power of His Spirit. Because self-control is a gift produced in and through us by God's Spirit, Christians can and should be the people on the planet most hopeful about growing in self-control. We, we are, after all, brothers of the most self-controlled man in the history of the world. We look to Christ and we, we rest in Him. What's the call? What's the call this morning? Look to yourself? No. No. It's the old fastball I throw every week, right? Look to Christ. Rest in Christ. Trust in Christ. Imitate Christ, as Paul said. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Look to Christ. You think about Christ, how do we do this? Throughout his life, Christ was without sin, as Hebrews 4 tells us. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, as 1 Peter 2 tells us. You think about Christ staying faithful, even when sweat came like drops of blood and he shook with sobbing. When reviled, he did not revile in return. His enemies spit in his face and struck him, some slapped him. Remember, he was scourged. Think about this crucifixion account of Christ. His humiliation, as he's there and people are spitting on him and mocking him and beating him and hitting him. But yet, he says he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't fight back. Showed great restraint in the midst of that. You see, we've talked about this before. Christ could have in that moment as he hung on the cross, and somebody even dared him to do it. Christ could have in that moment called down 12 legions of angels as he hung on the cross, couldn't he? Yes, he could have, with just a word. But yet, he did not defend himself. And he endured the scorn and the mocking of the crowd until that work of redemption was fully accomplished. Christ was obedient to his Father all the way until the end. With great self-control, even in the moment of death. Even in that moment where he was hanging as a sinner. Again, here's what Mathis said. Throughout his early life in every trial and temptation... He learned obedience through what he suffered. And at the pinnacle of his self-control, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he is the one who strengthens us. In Jesus, we have the source for true self-control far beyond that of our feeble selves. And so the call is this. Look to Christ. Rest in Christ. Trust in Christ. In short, we want Jesus to get all the glory, not us. We want to control ourselves in the power that He supplies by His grace. 
Sometimes that means saying no. But we admit the inadequacy and emptiness of doing it on our own. And so we pray and we ask for Jesus' help. We seek accountability from others. We try to develop kind of strategies and ways that we can fight back and, and help in, in this wage, in this war for our hearts at every moment. And we trust God's promises to supply the power for every good work. And then we step out and act in faith as He will do it in us and through us. And we thank Christ for every Spirit-supplied success in our struggle. In those moments where the Lord has helped you, in that moment where you think, I want to do it, and the Lord comes rushing in, and you have that little, well, I probably shouldn't. Do you thank the Lord in those moments? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We do realize the tendency that we all have to willingly throw ourselves off the cliff and whistle while we do it. And aren't we grateful for the constraining power and help of the Holy Spirit? Actually, sometimes it is a gift of grace of God not giving us what we think we want and learning how to say no under the lordship of Christ with his help of self-control. And so we, we thank Christ for every way that he has helped us in the struggle. And then we step forward in self-control under the banner of his grace and under the leading of the Spirit. We say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And so you think, you remember that little boy with the choice that he had to make? Remember that little boy standing in front of that TV with itching fingers to touch all of the things and this war that was in his, in his heart? Do you know why I know that story? That boy was me. And I remember going to visit my grandmama's house in Charleston, South Carolina. And my, my, we got to my grandmama's house, had the garage, a couple, couple of steps, and straight away at the end of the hall was that big old TV. And so dad is bringing stuff in and out of the car, and I go into grandmama's house, and I'm standing there, and I'm looking at that TV like I want to touch all the things. And I hear the voice of my dad going, David... If you touch that TV, I'm going to get you. And I had a choice in that moment. Do you think that I obeyed my father and walked away? Oh, no, I didn't. I touched as many buttons as I possibly could in the amount of time that it took him to run through the garage, up the stairs, and come to get me. I touched all of the things as quickly as I could. But I had a choice to make. I gave in quickly. My lack of self-control came with consequences, as you could probably imagine. A well-deserved spanking, totally deserved it, because I disobeyed my father. And the truth is, my bad choices haven't stopped. Just like you, I struggle with self-control. I don't stand up here as a guy who's got it all together. I need Jesus and the gospel just like you. The bad choices haven't stopped. I still struggle with self-control, and I need Jesus to help me make good choices. I still want to touch all the things. I still want to disobey. And I say, Lord, please help me. Please help me in this moment. Help me not to lose my cool. Help me not to do that. Lord, help me. Just please help me in that moment. It's one of the most honest prayers we can pray. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. When we feel that struggle in our hearts, Lord, help me. Remind me of what is good. Remind me what is true. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. And so what's the call as we think about self-control? How do we tie a bow on this? The call is simply this. Look to Christ. Trust in Christ. Rest in Christ. Even when it's hard. Even in the midst of that heart struggle. Look to Christ. Trust in Christ. Rest in Christ. Trust in His grace. Trust in His mercy. Rest in Him. The gospel's true. We're all going to struggle with self-control. But with the Spirit's help over the course of our lives, 
we're able little by little to die unto self and to live unto Christ for His glory, not our own. That's the call. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for Your kindness. Thank You for this gift of self-control. We all struggle with it. We give in so quickly. But we're thankful that even in those moments, You never gave in. And Lord, we are thankful that You have dealt kindly with us. And in these moments when we feel like our emotions are getting away from us, when our thought life is wandering, when we're using our bodies for selfish gain, oh Lord, help us by the power of the Spirit and under Your grace to grow in this area of self-control. Help us to really pray for it, to pray for self-control. Lord, knowing that uh, we want to honor You in all that we do because You have been so gracious and kind to us first. And so, Lord, help us, please. It's our simple prayer. Lord, help us. But we are thankful for your grace when we mess up. And we pray for your empowering spirit as we seek to grow more Christ-like day by day by the work of your spirit. And we thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, help us to be people under control for your glory and under your authority because you love us. And we pray all these things humbly in Christ's precious name. Amen.